It's time to run the pass. Aropa, it's nice to see you. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? How are you, Andre? Good. It's uh, it's it's hot over here in Austin. I don't, I don't know what it's like where you're at, but we're about 100 degrees, and I'm sweaty, and I'm I'm in my office, and I forgot to turn on the AC before I came in here. Oh wow! Well, it's about in terms of uh, translating Fahrenheit to Celsius. I'm not the best at that, but we're at 30 degrees Celsius. Feels like 40. <laughs> so is that similar? I feel like it would be pretty similar. <laughs> hot, 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 hot is hot. Hot is hot. I feel like I'm in I'm in an oven. Yes, that's what I feel like right now. So, listen, I want to get into it right away. You know, um, can you tell just people that that don't know you just a little bit about your background um, and just kind of how you got started um, with with hire and how you founded the the whole project? Sure. So, just to give a little bit of uh, insight, Hire is a 360 workforce management software aimed to help shift managers um, with all of their workforce. And needs. So essentially, it started quite a few years ago when I was consulting for a staffing agency. I was consulting there in many departments, finance, sales, the bookings department, specifically within hospitality. That's the staffing agency was a hospitality staffing agency. And it is there that I learned about all of the inefficiencies when it came to staffing in general. Um, The agency had quite a few personnel doing very manual tasks that I thought could be automated. And at that time, they were just using Excel at best and calling hundreds of people to fill shifts. And so I saw this as a huge opportunity to implement some technology within that industry. And at that time, Uber was just getting popular. And I saw that there was a need for a temp staffing solution. And so when it comes to hire and what it is today, where it is a a 360 workforce management solution aimed at solving all staffing needs and not just temp staffing, it started out as a temp staffing solution. And when we specifically dove into the problems that I saw when I was working at the staffing agency and solving those problems, it was extremely, extremely useful to go back to my experiences and just kind of draw from them and use them in building a a tool that uh, we were able to really, where we were really able to help all of these hotels and event venues um, with their temp staffing needs. So we started off with first client was a five-star hotel in Ottawa. Second client was the Marriott in Ottawa. Third client was a huge convention center. So we really started off big and this tool was the catalyst of hire. What is the technology piece that was missing that that you introduced to uh, you know, a staffing agency? Yeah. So initially uh, when hire was just a temp staffing solution, we actually wanted to reduce the middleman. Essentially, we wanted to make it so that if I were a hotel event organizer or any venue event organizer, I didn't have to go to a staffing agency, pay an arm and a leg and uh, ask them for 10, 20 staff on a certain day and just hope and pray that those 10 to 20 staff would be there in the correct uniform on time uh, and doing what I asked them to do that day. So we wanted to make it 
a very clear online platform so that event organizer, instead of going to that agency, could go on to hire, request the number of people that they needed to be staffed, the wage that they wanted to pay. So it was based on what they wanted and what they could afford. And then people who were eligible to work, those shifts would pick up those shifts and arrive early to those uh, events, to those shifts. And they'd work and then they would get rated on the platform. So the rating system really enabled the best players to keep going and it weeded out the poor players, essentially. Right now, so I live in, in Austin, Texas, and you know, I'm a chef. So staffing right now is probably one of the biggest challenges as an industry, as a hospitality industry, but specifically in the culinary industry. It's something that we're, we're really facing shortages on, you know, now that we're kind of in this post-pandemic world. Um, where a lot of people have decided to change careers and, and uh, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, they left the industry permanently and, and uh, you know, have found other things that make them happy. So from a recruitment standpoint, how do people, how do people find you? How do you, or how do you, how do you market to people so that they could, they could discover hire and, and uh, either get back in the business and also, so that's part one. And then part two, do you notice a lot of people um, or have you noticed, have you noticed fewer people now being interested in in joining the hospitality industry, you know, as it was prior to the pandemic? Right. So recruitment for us from the staff perspective has uh, mainly been word of mouth because we have been able to really get the best shifts on the platform. It all starts with getting them the best opportunities. So as you as you said, staffing has always been an issue. Um, we focused initially on event staffing. So not staffing within restaurants, but event staffing. And so when it comes to events, it's a different game. You go to a shift, it's a a very united experience for the staff. They kind of go as a group, they all have to look the same, they all have to act the same, the clients there, it's it's a wedding. You kind of blend in to uh, the background as a staff. And so the expectations are different and the, opportunities to kind of be a part of that event are also different. You, you don't really have to talk to customers as much, um, but you do get to have that kind of, um, you have get to have that experience of being part of somebody else's special day, whatever it may be. So a lot of people are really attracted to that opportunity. And so when it came to us recruiting, those opportunities were actually a big selling point. Other than that, of course, we had to do the traditional ads on different job platforms and referrals from the staff that we did have. But a a big part, believe it or not, were actually just simply the opportunities. They also did pay more in terms of hourly wages than that of restaurants. So that's also compensation is always a big thing for hospitality workers. Um, but, But still, the event kind of speaks for itself. Like, I remember uh, we had quite a few big events where there were some pretty famous people within the event. And so a lot of people just signed up because they wanted to be in in that environment. And they knew that they were going to be serving some guests that uh, they would never see um, in a day-to-day, like in a regular basis. So they just uh, jumped on that opportunity because it was exciting. You get to say to your friends, hey, guess who I was around yesterday and so on. So so that was a big thing for us. When it comes to recruiting now post-pandemic, it's a challenge. It is definitely a huge problem. 
a lot of, we lost in hospitality, we lost a lot of people. A lot of people decided to throw in the hat at the end of the day and just say, I, that's it. I'm going into another career, a career where a pandemic won't affect it. And that's really too bad because we lost a lot of great people. And so it's kind of now becoming, it's a challenge, of course. And I think it's a challenge. It's a different challenge in, in different regions, depending on government restrictions and what kind of compensation the government has kind of put in place. Every country is different and the incentives are different there. But um, it, it is now becoming more important to upskill people. So you just kind of have to be patient and understand that people that are now going into hospitality might not be as experienced, but they have the potential. There's always a new wave of people going in. We're dealing right now with that gap in service, but we have to be optimistic and understand that we are just going to have to look for people in different areas, perhaps customer service or other types of uh, maybe retail, for example. The retail industry is a great example where you do deal with customers a lot. You have some similarities in terms of skills, and it's just about training those people and making them making them uh, available for those opportunities and giving them the opportunity to upskill themselves by giving them more opportunities. Uh, do you notice um, things starting to get better? Or, or you know, I, I know there was a point where you know, maybe I wouldn't have an application, but now I'm starting to see a, a smaller trickle of, of people wanting to get back into the industry. Or maybe I've even noticed this, and I don't know if you have. I've noticed some people have left the industry and then found out, I really didn't like it. I thought I wanted to leave the industry, and now they're coming back even. Uh, you know, because they they miss uh, they miss hospitality or anything like that. Do you notice any of those things right now starting to trend up? Um, you know, where you're at. Definitely, uh, a lot of people have come back because it is their passion, and those are the people you'll see coming back. The ones that have abandoned ship, that was potentially a transitional role for them anyway, and. Sometimes people in transitional roles stay there a little longer than they wanted to. And this was a great excuse to kind of leave. So you kind of have both in Canada specifically. Well, we're both in the States and Canada, but in Canada specifically, we see it's actually much harder because the government here it has given a lot of financial incentives for people to not really go back to work. And, and, um, and specifically in that industry, the compensation is almost the same. So it doesn't make sense for them to go back. So we're seeing a much harder um, landscape, a much rougher landscape for, for these uh, types of positions to be filled. So in terms of staffing, it's looking like some alternatives and what people want is more flexibility. So you have to kind of use different uh, tools in your toolboxes in your toolbox to incentivize people that might be they only want to work one shift a week and then try their hand at something else or they might want benefits something that hasn't really been available as much in the industry so far they might want different things we see that some of our clients have responded to the pandemic by lay they've unfortunately had to lay off the majority of their staff but their strategy that has worked for them is to have a skeleton crew and then have temp labor that's constantly supporting them from now on. And that's actually a strategy that they have mentioned they're going to be implementing from now on for the foreseeable future. That has worked for them. I would say if you are going to do that, make sure that your skeleton crew uh, 
definitely is a, is a strong one in, in the base of, of your business and then support your, the rest, support them with uh, extra temp staff. Uh, we, we use the, like the military term for force multipliers, uh, you know, the, like the, the special forces guys that are, that are there all the time. And then when the temps come in, it's like, okay, act like a force multiplier and, and get, and get them up to speed quickly. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, the, uh, you know, the supplemental income uh, that people can get through government aid, um, which is, you know, it's, it incentivizes them to stay home versus going to work. And I, you know, I, I understand if you're going to pay me just as much uh, to stay at home where I could be with my family, I could feel safe or, you know, whatever the case may be, or I could just have fun, right? Um, versus going to work to make the same amount of money. Um, I, I understand why people are, are, you know, are willing to do that. I, you know, I can't knock anyone for that. But you know, one thing that I don't think people have, um, have really talked about much is that you're also putting your career on pause if you're just at home, because the person that's going to work um, that was maybe at the same level, and I'm just going to use a culinary analogy, but if, if, if you were both cooks um, at the beginning of the pandemic or even at the end of 2019, um, but one person remained working and the other person decided to stay home, when and now let's say it's 2022 and you guys are both back in the workforce, that person that was a cook with you might be a sous chef now, but you're coming still back in as a cook. Um, so, so you do have to consider that also of, you know, the time, the time away is, you know, it's, it's time not being in the game. Um, and it's, it's also something to consider as well. Anyway, food for thought. hundred percent. That's one. I hundred percent agree with you. I think that it's very important to have foresight when in that position and make sure you understand what you're giving up. So if your intention is to fully leave hospitality, then that's different. But if you're thinking you're going to come back after the pandemic, you have to understand the landscape will be different when you come back and you've lost time and you've lost the opportunity to upskill yourself as well during that time, like you mentioned. In retrospect, um, from where you started to where you are now, what were some of the bigger lessons that you learned along the way? And, you know, obviously, if you could give yourself advice back then, what, were, what would be some of the things that you would say to yourself? Ooh, hitting me with a big one. Um, what wouldn't I give myself? What wouldn't I say to myself? Uh, so I think being an entrepreneur, being a founder, it's a very tumultuous road. I think that I have... Um, gone through a lot and had to persevere quite a bit in order to get to where I am. There have been many, many times where I just wanted to give up because things just weren't going my way. Or funny enough, maybe things were going my way, but the pressure was intense as well. So even during the times where the business were, was was booming, it just felt like there was just so much. And how could I handle all of this demand? So, so there was you know, both sides of the coin where you're not doing well and you're stressed out and you're thinking that's the end or you're doing really well and you're really stressed out and you're thinking, how am I going to continue without letting everybody down? So it's just <laughs> kind of both of those. Um, I think uh, previous to being an entrepreneur, I was in psychology and I actually did research on burnout research. So that was a really big thing for me uh, moving forward and understanding how to identify burnout in myself and try my best to implement some tactics, tics, uh, trip, tips and tricks in order to avoid burnout. And so when I was in those in those tumultuous times, I did try to de-stress a lot and make sure to up my exercise game, eat well, 
try to force myself to socialize, even though I had no time, but just uh, get my headspace out of the negative kind of burnout space. Um, so I, I was able to do that. But if I were to go back, I would tell myself to let go a lot more because I was in a position a lot where I thought uh, I had to kind of control the whole scenario. Like if I didn't control it, nothing was going to go right. And looking back, I know I did have a great team and I still do have a great team and I have been able to let go and give them the control, but I would have done that much, much, much earlier and just reduced my stress level by tenfold. (laughs) So that was a huge thing. Um, but yeah, what mistakes didn't I make? I think I made mistakes in every single aspect of my business. I think every entrepreneur, if they're being honest, would say something similar, <laughs> like mistakes in hiring, mistakes in firing, mistakes in um, building products 10 times, uh, like just so much. Uh, I would, I could literally write a book about it, I think. <laughs> so you, you said you, you researched ways or you, you started to learn ways how you could identify burnout in yourself. But for people that uh, aren't as familiar as you are, um, what would be some some practical advice to someone to help them identify burnout in themselves? So some things um, like exhaustion. So just having, if you identify, for example, that you are more tired, uh, tired more often, I would say like signs of exhaustion, signs of just mini depression, um, you don't really want to get up. You, you don't want to do the same things you've been doing. If you can really sit with yourself and with your thoughts and identify that that's what's happening to you and it's different than when you are happy and engaged because we always talk about burnout, but we tend not to talk about stress, which is the opposite of burnout, which is when you're really, really engaged and thriving in something. So if you can look at where you are today and and think, how does this compare um, to when I'm really, really thriving? And if you can see the differences and you can see that you are just, you have, it's, it's not as um, enjoyable doing what you're doing and you're, you're avoiding it. You're trying to sleep more and do anything else but that, then I think you can potentially think you could be burning out in the process of burning out and therefore start changing your routine, implementing new tactics to go about your daily tasks, maybe stepping out, going on vacation, take walks every day, like get out of the house. Like right now during COVID, during the pandemic, people have been stuck in front of their computer screen and for hours on end, waking up, going like two meters from their bed working and then taking a break two meters away from their desk. Like that is just not healthy. Get out of the house, (laughs) get out of the house and see some friends, even outside on a socially distanced walk, just do something different because it's very, very dangerous and you become, you lose productivity extremely, extremely fast. Some people might say that's kind of when you're like in this flow state or you're in the zone, right? Things just seem to be, seem to be clicking. Um, and, you know, let's, I'd like to talk about that just a little bit more. Um, is there anything that you've, you've noticed or anything that any, any practical wisdom that, that you or, or ritual that you have that kind of puts you in that zone or in that, 
um, in that in that state of mind? Can it be? Can it be? Uh, can you can you create a false environment that will provide that for you? Definitely. I, I mean, for me personally, everyone's different, but for me personally, I pump myself up by by quite literally getting like just pumping myself up. Just if I'm a little bit. Um, avoiding, I guess, my work that day, or I want to do something else, I'll just get up and I'll, I have a little exercise bike. I'll just do a quick five minute, like really hard, intense bike ride. And it gets your endorphins up and you just want to, uh, personally, I just want to go for it. And I, I just feel like really pumped up, maybe put on some ACDC or queen or whatever while you're on that bike, just kind of like a work, mini workout and then just go back to it. And uh, that's, just, I mean, if we're talking about little tips and tricks, that's great before a sales call. I've learned for myself, like that's really, really good in, before a sales call that you just want like high energy and you're just like kind of feeling drained because the call is at like 5 p.m. after your day and you're like, oh, now I have to do another pitch. Uh, <laughs> you can just like pump yourself up a little by getting a little bit of energy. That's great practical advice. I'm going to tell my cooks that before a busy service, do some burpees or something just to get them going. Animals help too, by the way. Animals. Yeah, that's uh, found to, to be very helpful. Although that's not great in the kitchen, but <laughs> maybe pictures of animals. Yeah, there you go. Maybe pictures of animals. You know, other people that are looking to have a startup or, you know, young entrepreneurs, um, if you could give them someone just starting out in, in uh, on their own adventure, what sort of career advice would you give someone or practical advice would you give someone that was just starting out based on lessons that you've learned along the way? In entrepreneurship? Mm -hmm. I would say, make sure you have a great support system. And if you don't, make sure to get one first because you are sort of in it you're in it with everyone else but you're kind of in it alone like only you will be able to understand what you're going through and having the support of other founders and having the support of people who are going through similar situations um is just so 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 important i think that you can bounce ideas off off them more easily than you could your friends or your family or even your colleagues because they're going through something so similar to you and having that is uh, invaluable at least for me um other than that of course you have to uh, for me in terms of technology startup i'm like another piece of practical advice would be um, test everything before you go ahead and build it. So I like to go by the lean startup method and make sure that we have a reason to build something. And even when we have a reason to build something, we manually test it as much as possible. And then we go ahead and build it. So that's my personal advice for building product. Uh, but as a founder, when you're on your own and you have an idea that could be extremely valuable in order to understand whether to, to start building it or not. But that was quite different than my other piece of advice. So choose what you will there. <laughs> Based on the learnings that you've had along the way, or maybe even, even it's just a little bit of your psychology background. Um, but when you're building a team around you, what sort of, um, what sort of, what sort of dynamic are you looking for in the group? What sort of character traits are you looking for the group? What kind of skill sets are you looking for um, with the people that you're, you're surrounding yourself with? And is this to compliment you or is this just kind of, uh, you know, your, your, your canned answer regardless of, of who's in charge? 
That's a great answer. A great, great question. I think regardless, they're actually both because one, always, I'm always looking for go-getters. I'm always looking for people who are very, very, um, they, they take initiative, they're go-getters, they're very positive, they can just be put into any situation and figure it out. Self-starters are who I personally look for. But that being said, that can come in so many different ways and problem solving is, there's not one way to problem solve. So we look for problem solvers, but in the sense that everybody solves problems differently, it's very important, in my opinion, to look for people that do compliment you. So it's a little bit of both, if that makes sense. The the typical uh, person on our team does have to be a problem solver, creative, go-getter, very positive attitude, just someone who can figure it out. But in the way they figure it out, that's different. And that complements one another so that we're not all you know, solving the problem in the same way and not really giving each other insight and uh, growing as a team. (laughs) That's that's good advice. Uh, Usually when I'm surrounding myself with other people, I'm always looking for something. uh, Usually I'm looking for people that are better than me, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) 100% actually, 100%. I always tell my team, like I am hiring, I'm hiring you because you're better. Like you always want to look for someone better than you. I hundred percent agree with that because you should never be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. I, I, and I never am, by the way, I never, I never, I'm never the smartest person in the room. <laughs> well, uh, listen, I, I really, um, I really enjoyed uh, the time talking to you. And before we wrap up, um, you know, this is, this is a difficult question, but I, I'd love, it's the final question. Um, and that is uh, what will, what will success look like to you when, when you can say, okay, it's that moment where you could say, I'm proud of what I've done and I could walk away. That is a very difficult question. I think every entrepreneur wants to make an impact on a, an industry or people in general. Um, I'm no different in that sense where success for me will be when I believe I've fully made an impact on um industries that employ shift workers. So if I can change an industry in any way and I can see that change, then I I would be able to say, okay, I'm able to walk away from this and and leave some sort of a legacy, whether it be a process legacy, a technology legacy, anything. Great. Well, thank you so much. And I'm sure you'll leave your mark and and, uh, leave a legacy. it was a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, if, if people want to learn more about you or, or, or your company, where can they find you? So uh, the company, you can find us online at www.hyresstaff.com. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Europa Stein. My name is quite odd, <laughs> but I'm no, I'm probably the only one on, on uh, LinkedIn since I think I'm the only one on Facebook. I checked that a few years ago. <laughs> um, and yeah, you can find me there and connect. Well, thank you very much. It was nice to have you on and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Andre. It was, it was a pleasure. I wish you the best of luck and I'm looking forward to listening to your podcast in general. Thank you so much. <laughs>